Um, today, Luke chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, grab that. We're ending our series today called Called Out. And this series has been all about choosing calling over comfort. And it's been, um, it's been a fun series. It's been a difficult series uh, for some of us to, to go through and, and, and really look at what is it that Jesus is calling us to do. And then do we have the ability to, to, to dig down deep inside of us and, and say yes Say yes to what God is calling us to do and actually take that step to follow him. And um, for me personally, this has been an eye-opening thing to actually realize that, that Jesus isn't just calling us out of difficult times. He doesn't just speak to us when, when things are tough. He's speaking to us when, when things are, are going great. And, and he'll constantly be calling out to us to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And ultimately, where, we, where he wants us to be is better than where we want to be. Yes or no? Yes. But we get comfortable um, in where we want to be, and, and, and we, have to make, we have to make that choice to say, okay, God, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will, I will follow you. Whatever it takes, I'm, I'm going to follow you. We have to die to ourselves to be able to do that. You understand that, right? That there are things that, that we, have to, we have to put aside and say, hey, my plans are not your plans. I'm going to embrace God's plans. That's what Christianity is about. And that's what we've been talking about the past several weeks. Next week, um, we're starting a brand new series on spiritual warfare. Um, it, should be, it should be really cool. Um, it's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about a lot of, when, when you start talking about angels and demons and things like that, and you start messing up people's theology about angels and what they think about them, um, it, gets, it gets crazy. Um, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about like these attacks that, that come out of going into our calling, of leaving our comfort. Um, today, it's, listen, <laughs> it's always hard to come to the end of a series. I could probably make this thing go for like another 10 weeks. Um, but we really try to keep them, you know, themed and to move on to something else. And so it's really hard uh, to wrap something up. And, and I, I discovered that um, this week, but really a lot last night. And last night when I was preaching this, I realized that I've got like, like four thoughts that really don't go together, but they ultimately do come together. And they were like four more messages that probably needed to be in this series. And, and I'm trying to throw them all together. And so um, it, it's ironic that Paul, who who's, um, works, our, works all of our slides and does all that, and he's our director of advancement, he sent me this, um, without even knowing what I was doing, he sent me this slide um, about speech givers, or I, I don't know, I think it was speech givers, and it was like um, non-ADD speeches is like point A to point B, and ADD speeches was, had like all these other boxes around it, and I think he was making fun of me without knowing that he was, or who knew he was, that's probably it. Um, but that's kind of what today is. Today's kind of, I'm, I'm going to wrap this thing up. Um, I'm going to throw like four different concepts at you. Um, eventually, they're all going to come together, okay? I promise at the end, um, everything will make sense. Let me set it up like this. Last week, um, we ended the, the, the message, or throughout the message, um, we, we talked about letting go. And we talked about rope, right? And I told you rope. I, I talked to you about zip lining, and I said rope in my life represents control. It, it represents security. It represents safety. But, but holding on to the rope, for me, ultimately is, is control. That's, that's what my life likes to, to focus around is, is control. I've got to be in control. I, 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 love, I, I love just knowing everything that's going to happen. Well, today I want to build off of that in the beginning here, and I want to talk about a different type of control to set this up. I want to start out by talking about remote controls. Now, 
Some of you, once again, I am always date myself in these illustrations. Some of you just got to work with me and believe there was a time in history in America where we did not have remote controls. In fact, if you're around my age, you remember being the remote control for your mom and dad. How many of you remember that? You were the remote control. All right, hey, change the channel. Next, next, next. Oh, okay, oh, hold on, hold on. That one's good. Okay, shh. Get up, you walk. Hey, where are you going? It's commercial. Get back. Next, next. Right? You, you remember that? When remote controls first came out, they were super, 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 super simple. That was it right there. You had like on and off. You had channel lower and channel higher. Like they didn't have like the plus or the up. How many of you remember these things? Right? That, that was it. Like I don't, it says on there volume on and off. Like I think you must have pressed that yellow button to make the volume go up. Like I don't even, I don't even know. Like that, that was that was all you had. Some of you are sitting here thinking, like, right now, what about all the channels? You didn't have all the channels. You had three channels. If you lived, like, close to the city, you had four, right? You remember that? Like, seriously. Remote controls were super, 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 super simple back in the day. However, as things began to develop, TVs got more advanced, cable came out, you had satellite TV, things like VCRs and laser discs, DVD players and surround sound. They all came out, and they all came out with separate remotes. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like you would go to people's house, and they literally would have five remote controls. You don't even know what to pick up. You, you don't know what to do. And so somebody had this great idea, one remote to rule them all, the universal remote control. Look at those things. Like nobody knows what these do, right? There are so many buttons on there. There are so many combinations to make your TV, your VCR, your cable, your satellite, everything all come together. Like you don't even know. You, you've written down all of these things and you hope to God that you don't ever lose the piece of paper that tells you how to work the remotes so you can watch TV. Am I right? Like, not, like nobody knows. There are so many things that go on in that. And I know what you're sitting there thinking right now. Why the heck is he talking about remote control? I came here to hear about Jesus, right? Why are we talking about remote controls? Here's why. Most people, when it comes to walking with Jesus, think that this is Christianity. They think, hey, we got to do all the right things. We got to say all the right things. We got to go all the right places. We got to do the right combination of things. We got to push all the right buttons. We've got to talk a certain way. We've got to dress a certain way. We can only read one particular version of the Bible. There's all these combinations and all these stuff you've got to do. But in actuality, as you study the Gospels, following Jesus is not complex. It is simple. It is not difficult to understand. It is incredibly easy. Listen, Jesus never meant for the call to follow him to be complicated. But people, people have made it incredibly difficult. Again, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, go here, don't go over there. You got to say this, you can't say that. This is the version of the Bible you got to read. You can only listen to this kind of music, right? right? Am I right? Like people have made it incredibly difficult. And so we're going to see this as, as we, um, this concept as we finish up Luke chapter 5. We've been looking at what happens when Jesus first called Peter out, we said Jesus called Peter out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. That he was just a simple fisherman. And Jesus called him in to an incredible relationship and allowed him to see some amazing things even before he heard Jesus declare that he's the son of God. Remember, he, he got to see, the, he heard him teach and then he, and then he sees the fish and, and then he goes and he heals the leper 
or, or um, yeah, he heals the leper, and then, and then the, 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 the guy, they lower down through the roof, the paralyzed guy, and he hears him declare that he is God, and, and everything is just amazing, and, and, and Peter is just like, oh my gosh, like, like Peter goes from ordinary average fisherman to walking side by side with the Son of God, seeing extraordinary things, and he says, Peter, this is the life that I've called you into, and the same call he gave to Peter, he gives to every one of us today. So Luke chapter 5, before we get there, um, you don't have to turn there, we'll throw it up on the screens. I, I, I got to show you this, I got I to I gotta set up where we're going. Matthew 23, um, we're going to talk about Matthew, but in Matthew 23 verse 1, Jesus is, um, he's about to get crucified. And, and the Bible says this, Jesus said to the crowds, Jesus is always sitting around, he's always talking to the crowds, talking to the crowds and to his disciples. He says this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, let's, let's explain this real quick. We've been talking about commands throughout this thing. We've been talking about the Pharisees, and we've been talking about how the Pharisees, how, how the Pharisees were these morally upright people in their own minds who thought they were doing everything right, and they had to work really hard to get to God. And so right here, Jesus is making reference to the Torah. Um, they didn't call it the Old Testament because they didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't even call it the Bible. Um, they called it the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of, of what we know as the Bible today. First five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy written by Moses. In the Torah, there were 613 commands. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a lot. That's a lot, right? 613 commands. 613. The more of them that you kept, think about the remote control, the, the universal one. The more of them you kept, that's, that's what it took you to keep all of those, the right combinations, all of those things. That's what it took to get closer to God. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if there are 613 commands, I'm probably going to break 614 of them. A anybody else with me on that? Yeah, a lot of us. So Jesus right here, he's, he's making reference to the Torah, but then he does something else, and it's real subtle. And, and, and for years and years and years, I didn't catch this until just recently. He, he goes on to say this, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Now that's huge, because in addition to the Torah, they had something called the Mishnah. The, the Torah was the written law. The Mishnah was the oral law. It wasn't written down until a couple, few hundred years after Jesus died. But in the Mishnah, there are about two to 3,000 extra commands in addition to the Torah. And so you had 613 over here, but now you've got, let, let's say, 3,000 over here. So now you've got 3,613 commands that you have to follow. So the Torah, they, these were the commands, the Torah, these are the ones that they followed. But the, the Mishnah were these additional commandments that they made up so they wouldn't even get close to breaking the original commands. And, and Jesus is going to come on the scene and, and he's going to say, hey, it doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be that difficult. You've got to stop putting stuff on top of what God said to do. It's not that hard. Churches do that today. Let, let me give you a modern day illustration. My first ministry job, I was a youth pastor at a Southern Baptist church. One Sunday, the pastor was gone, and so I got to preach. It was awesome. It was incredible. People were saying, oh, good job. Everything was great. Um, people got saved. Life changed happening. It was, it was so cool. I went home. I was excited. People were excited. On Monday, 
I was called into a meeting with the senior pastor and the deacons. <laughs> and there were two reasons why. And so we're going to talk to you about two things. First thing is, you said the word heck in a message. Now, quick question. Anybody know why I got in trouble for saying the word heck? It's because it's close to the word Yes, you just said it. So according to them, you just send in church, right? That's what they say. You don't say that. Like, like even pastors, when they were preaching about the subject of hell, if they ever did preach about the subject of hell, they would not say hell. They'd say where the devil lives or the hot place with all the fire. They wouldn't say hell, even when they're teaching about hell. And so they were like, hey, you can't say heck because it's close to the word hell. And if you say heck, people in their minds are going to know that you mean hell, and so they're going to think hell, and so you're causing them to stumble, you're causing them to fall, and so you can't say the word hell or heck. I was like, that's just dumb. Okay, I can get it. What's the second thing I did? You said there were two reasons. They said, you said the word darn. It's the same conversation. You can't say darn because it's close to, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. But that's what they said. And I'm like, that's, that's, just, that's, just, that's just dumb. That, that you're making up commands that aren't in the Bible. And, and you're assuming that people are, and, and it's just crazy. But that's what was going on with the Pharisees. They had all these commands that weren't, even, that weren't even in their Bible just to keep you far away from messing up. And so it was incredibly difficult at that time, just like, just, just, just like in parts of Christianity now, and sex where, where, where people are, are, are telling you there's all these things you can and can't do. It's, it's incredibly difficult to follow God. And, and it was such a challenge back then, and I think it's such a challenge today, but back then, people were walking away, and it wasn't because they're bad people. It's just because they're like, I can't do all this stuff. I can't figure out all the buttons. There's no way I can do everything that they want me to do. And so if you've ever felt like that when it comes to Christianity, I completely understand. Completely understand. People have made it so incredibly difficult for us to follow Jesus do's and don'ts and goes and can'ts and all of these other things, when Jesus simply said what? Follow me. Follow me. Now, take that thought and kind of put that off to the side for a second. I'm going to talk about something else. I promise we'll bring these two things together at the end. Let's go back to our journey with Peter. Before Peter, um, before Peter was a follower of Jesus, he was a what? What was his occupation? He was a fisherman, right? He was a fisherman in a small town called Capernaum, which is a little village right on the Sea of Galilee. Here's what I find fascinating about this whole thing with, with Peter and about what's, what's about to happen here in Luke. As a fisherman, Peter essentially, in, in all intents and purposes, is a business owner. Right? He's, a, he's a business owner. It's his boat. It's his business. He's a business owner. A fisherman actually had to pay taxes on the fish they caught. That's why there are parables about when they catch fish, Jesus said, you know, you keep the good fish, you throw the bad fish out, and there's a parable about a fish with a coin in his mouth, and they're discussing that. Um, but, but he's telling these parables because you, you didn't want to keep the bad fish because you didn't want to have to pay taxes on them. Whenever you would catch fish, you had to pay taxes on them. Back then, a little bit different than today, back then they didn't like to pay taxes. This, you know, where we're at right now, we love it, right? Just kidding. Who likes to pay taxes? Any, anybody enjoy taxes? No, nobody likes that. So imagine this for a second. Do you think it was possible? 
just hypothetically, that there was maybe a little bit of tension between Peter and the tax collectors of Capernaum, yes or no? Yes, of course there was probably some tension because you're catching fish and, and it's your livelihood, it's how you provided for your family and, and you had to pay taxes on them. Now tax collectors, like we don't like tax collectors today. None of us enjoy a phone call from the IRS. But we don't have a modern day parallel for a tax collector. We don't. Tax collectors in that time period, even though, even though we might think this in our minds with IRS people, tax collectors back then were some of the most wicked, evil, twisted people in the entire world. In order to be a tax collector, especially if you were a Jewish tax collector, meant that you had to turn your back on the nation of Israel. And if you turned your back on the nation of Israel, you turned your back on the temple. And if you turned your back on the temple, then you, you essentially had turned your back on God, which means you essentially were okay with knowing that when you died, you're going to go to hell. And, and, and you were fine with that because you're a tax collector and you're getting paid. I, I was trying to think of a a modern-day equivalent of a tax collector. And the only thing I could think of was, like, let, let's say you're going to hang out with a friend tonight, and, and your friend go, calls you up and says, hey, there, there's something you need to know about me before we hang out tonight. I, I did something last night, man, and I just, you, you just, you just got to know. I, I just feel like we're, we're close enough where, where I, I could tell you. All right, what did what, what you do? Well, last night I sold my soul to the devil. Nobody in here is like, whoo, that's awesome. How do I do that? You're like, oh, man, I forgot I got like a colonoscopy in the morning. There's no way we can hang out tonight, right? Like, you got some prep work to do. <laughs> That's the only thing I could think of. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you got a better illustration you can email me for next time. <laughs> so you got Peter, and he's a business owner. He's getting taxed. And the tax collectors in that time period, they didn't just take what Rome needed. They took whatever they wanted. And so if Rome said, hey, we want 10, 10% of all the fish, the tax collector would take the 10%, but he could also want to take 50% for himself. They were wicked and evil and twisted and messed up. Also, they're in Capernaum. It's a small village. Every, this is important to remember. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew what everybody was doing. So with all of that in mind, him being a fisherman, there being tax collectors that take this, and everybody knowing everything about everybody. I want to read this, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went, th this, is, this is after they lowered the man down that we talked about last week, after they cut the roof and lowered the man down. That's what's happening. After this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. This is Matthew, all right? We're going to call him Matthew the rest of the time here. Um, by the name of Levi, Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Now, this is real interesting. Think about this. Think about Peter. Right? Think about everything that Peter has now saw Jesus do. Peter has watched Jesus do amazing things. So imagine for a second, they're walking up to the tax collector's booth, and Peter is walking with him. And I can just kind of see this happening. Peter's walking behind Jesus. He sees Jesus walking towards the booth, and he's like, this is going to be awesome. Jesus is about to go off on Matthew, this tax collector. Jesus is going to tell him to stop. Jesus is going to tell him how wicked he is. Jesus is going to tell him to knock it off. Jesus is about to lower the boom on this dude. I think that's what Peter was thinking because Matthew had probably taken advantage of Peter financially because Matthew was a tax collector and Peter was a businessman in the same place. Then, to everyone's surprise, even Peter's, Jesus looks at Matthew and says, 
follow me. Follow me. How simple is that? Follow me. Jesus didn't say, hey, Matthew, here's a book of 613 commands that I know you know about. When you get those down, I got about 3,000 more I need you to get down. And, and when you get all of that right, when you can put all those together in the right combinations, then you can come and follow me. He didn't do that. D don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Matthew was, was collecting taxes. So essentially, this is so crazy. Essentially, Matthew was in the act of sinning. And so while Matthew is in the act of sinning, Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't even tell him to stop. He just says, follow me. Now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't stop. You, you should stop what you're doing. You, you should. I'm saying Jesus walks up to Matthew. He doesn't make it difficult. He just says, follow me. Follow me. It goes on to say, follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi, Matthew got up, left everything, and followed him which seems a little weird, but think about this. Here comes Jesus. He's walking up. He's in the, Matthew's in the midst of sinning. They're, they're in the middle of the square. They're collecting taxes. He probably sees Peter. He's probably got the tension with Peter and other people who, who know exactly what it is. People don't like him. People can't stand him. And, and here comes the long-haired, sandal-wearing hippie dude who says, follow me. Follow me. It, 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 when, when we first look at this, if you really dive into this and look at it, and put it in the context of what Matthew was doing. It, it seems crazy. It seems irresponsible that Matthew would just get up and follow him. But we got to understand, and, and this is, this, this to me, this is fascinating to think about. At this point, Matthew knew about Jesus. Matthew is, is collecting taxes in Capernaum. People are talking about all of this stuff going on. The leper, the miraculous catch of fish. The guy getting healed by peril, I mean, he, he, he knew what was going on. He knew about Jesus. He had heard Jesus teach. Matthew knew about who Jesus was. And the Bible says Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Now, let me tell you why this is so huge. Jesus at one time, we've been talking about this the entire series, invited Peter to follow him too. Matthew. Matthew had witnessed the call to Peter. Matthew had seen it happen. As a matter of fact, Matthew wrote it down in his gospel. Matthew 4.18 says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting the net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. The same call that Jesus gave Peter the fisherman was the same call he gave Matthew the tax collector. It's the same call he gives us today. Follow me, follow me, follow me. It's that simple. And the reason it's simple and not complicated is, is because Jesus knows us, right? And Jesus knows we need to follow the simple because he knows the more we follow him, the more we'll become like him, right? The more we follow Jesus, the more we'll become like him. But some people feel they can't follow Jesus because there's too many rules, there's too many regulations in the way. For, for me personally, listen, this is going to sound so jacked up. I seriously probably shouldn't say this. Um, but I'm sure somebody else feels the same way. And so I'm going to say it. For me, it comes to rules and regulations, it comes to following Jesus. For me personally, I had to give up the idea of being a good Christian to actually follow Jesus. 
I had to give up the idea of, of trying to be perfect and this perfect Christian so I could actually follow Jesus. It's the idea of no perfect people allowed, right? It's the idea of I can't work my way in. I've got to work out my own salvation, but I can't work my way to heaven. I, I can't make Jesus love me more. It's this idea of it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. I had to give up the idea, and you're going to have to figure out how you would give up the idea of trying to be perfect in front of everybody else in order to, so that you can actually follow Jesus. Does that make sense? So what does it take to follow Jesus? Let me give you three things that help me. Listen, these are not three things you have to do. I'm saying these are, these are three things that help me and, and I believe could help you too. If you want to follow Jesus, these are super simple, super easy. First thing, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to see him. We need to see him clearly. If we're going to follow something, we've got to be able to see it. If we're going to follow someone, we've got to be able to see them, right? But for example, I've told you this before, but um, I'm super, 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 super thankful for GPS on my phone because I don't know how to get anywhere. I don't. I love Google Maps. It's the greatest thing in my life. It, it, it really is. Before GPS, though, remember, if you had to go somewhere, if somebody was trying to tell you how to get somewhere, like it, it was complicated, right? You got to drive down the road, you got to turn here, you got to go by this tree. There's usually a dog peeing there. When you see that, make sure you take another turn. And like, right? You go through all those things. It, it's hard. And so when somebody's telling you how to get somewhere, if they knew where they were going, you just said, what? I'll just follow you, right? I'll follow you. Now, if you've ever followed someone, like you didn't know where you were going, but they knew where they were going. How intense does it get when you're following somebody? Do, do, do you get intense? Seriously. Because if I'm following you, if you're telling me, hey, we're going to go here, and I don't know how to get there, and you say, hey, just follow me, I'll get you there, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if I'm following you, I'm following you close. Like if you hit your brakes, I'm in your back seat. Seriously. If you run the red light, I'm running the red light too. And Anybody else do that? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been following somebody? And a car gets in between you and another person, you're thinking all the Christian cuss words in your head, right? I, like, that's what you're doing. The, the point here is this. If we're going to follow somebody, we actually have to be able to see them. And, and if we're going to follow them closely, we have to be intentional about getting close. Jesus said, follow me. And he started walking, and Matthew followed and Matthew followed him. So with that in mind, let me ask you this question. What is it that you do that helps you see Jesus clearly? What is it that you do that helps you see Jesus clearly? There's no right or wrong answer here. But what is it that you do that helps you see Jesus clearly? Let me, let me give you some, some options. Um, for me, like I start my day every day reading. Uh, I open my Bible app. I have the John MacArthur Study Bible app on my phone. Um, there's a reading plan. I can take notes. That's how I start my day. I love to read the Bible. That's how I feel most connected to God. I feel most connected to God um, when I'm reading the Bible. Now, that might not be your thing. Reading the Bible is never a bad thing. Um, but that might, might be how you get there, all right? So, so how do you? How do you see Jesus? What do you do to connect with him? What is it that you, that you do? Some people, some people pray. I, I know I've got people in my life who are, are prayer warriors. They're, they're prayer intercessors. They love to pray. They can pray for 
hours upon hours upon hours. I can't do that. I, I can't. I'm not good at prayer. I do pray, um, but it's not my primary way of connection. There are people that you're gifted in prayer. And, and when you pray, when you pray, you're like God's favorite. You get everything that you ever ask for, right? I, I'm not on that list. I know people like that, but, but that's not me. But prayer, connect through prayer. I've got some friends that tell me that the way that they connect to God is as soon as they wake up in the morning, they get their phone and, and they pull up some worship music and, and, and they play worship music on their phone while they lay in bed for 5, 10, 15 minutes and they just sing along or they kind of they listen, they kind of focus into the lyrics and, or whatever. Like that, that's, that's awesome. But li- listen, listen, what is it that you do that makes you feel connected to God? I'm not ever going to be the guy that puts on the referee jersey and blows a whistle. No, you're doing it wrong, right? You, you, you got to read the Bible, and, and you got to pray, and you got to journal, and then you got to go on a walk, and then you got to meditate, and then you got to come be a part of the worship team, and then you got to preach. I mean, I mean, dear God, who could do all of that stuff? So see, there, there, there's, there's, not, there's not a right answer here. But what do you do that when you do it, Helps you see Jesus clearly. Because this is what I believe. If we see Jesus clearly, we'll follow him closely. I, I say this all the time. If we see him clearly, we'll follow him closely, but we'll never follow somebody that we can't see. We will never follow someone we can't see. So at the end of the day, we, we've got to figure out what it is that we do that helps us see Jesus clearly. And then, and then don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Then we have to be intentional about doing it. Whatever it is, We have to be intentional about doing it, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 10 minutes, whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's an hour, whether it's six hours. you got to put it on your schedule every single day. You have to be intentional about doing it. Because let let me say this, nobody has ever accidentally followed Jesus. They haven't. Nobody's ever accidentally followed Jesus. It has to be intentional. Has to be intentional. Listen, what, what it is, when it is, that, that's up to you. I, I like to do mornings. Maybe for you it's lunch. Maybe you're a night person. I don't know. I'm just saying, you got to figure it out, and you got to be intentional. Ask yourself, what helps me see Jesus clearly? And, and listen, when you figure that out, do that thing for about a year every single day, and watch how he changes your life. This is not about getting Jesus to love you. That, that, is, that is already taken care of. It's about change taking place in your life. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. We don't really know when Matthew shut down the tax collector's business. But we do know when he started following Jesus. And eventually, don't miss this. Eventually, because he followed Jesus, he walked away from what he should not have been doing. He eventually becomes an apostle. He eventually becomes a martyr. He died in Ethiopia sharing the gospel. He died stepping into what Jesus had called him to do. And it was as simple as just taking that first step, follow me. So the first thing we got to do is we got to see. Second thing, we got to surrender, which is really difficult for some people, like me. I got a question. I've already kind of told you where I'm at on this, but I want to ask you. Um, You got to be honest because you're in church on a Sunday. How many of you would admit that you're a control freak? Raise your hand. Uh, true control freaks are not raising their hand right now because you're like, I'm not raising my hand. He's trying to control me, right? Like it's, <laughs> I'm a self-confessed control freak. I am. When, when I'm not in control, I freak out. That's why, that's ultimately why I hate to fly because I'm not in control. 
I've got to be in control. Uh, and, and not only do I have to be in control, I have to know the details about everything. I got to know where we're going. I got to know what's happening. I get, for, for example, like when somebody says, hey, you, you want to come over to my house and eat? Uh, sure. What time are we going to eat? Um, get there at 6 o'clock. That, that's not what I asked you. I asked you, what time are we going to eat? Because if you tell me to be there at 6 o'clock, but we're not eating at 6 o'clock, we're not eating until 7 o'clock, I'm going to eat the plastic fruit in the bowl on your table, right? Because I, I, I got to know, I'm going to get hungry. And, and, and by the way, what are we eating? Well, Hill, it's a surprise. Uh-uh. No, it ain't a surprise. You're going to tell me exactly what it is we're eating because then I'm going to let you know, like, if I'm coming or not, right? If I'm going to get sick or, or whatever. Tell me exactly what's going on. I have to know, right? A anybody else Anybody else have to have the details? Like, I'm the detail guy. I, I am. Most of us, if we're honest, we would say we have to have the details when somebody is inviting us to go somewhere or somebody is inviting us to do something, which is insane as we look at this story because think about this. <laughs> If I was Matthew in this story, things probably would have turned out a little bit different. Right? If Jesus calls out to me in the middle of my mess and, and Jesus walks up to me in front of everybody and says, follow me, my question is going to be, where are we going? What are we going to do when we get there? Hey, by, by the way, who else is going? Peter. Peter? I'm not going anywhere with Peter. Peter and I, man, we had this business deal that went bad. I can't be hanging out with Peter. There are so many questions that I have. But Matthew, Jesus comes up and says, follow me. And Matthew just does it. Who, who does that? The answer is somebody that trusts the person they're following, right? You follow somebody that you trust. If somebody's going to take you somewhere on a trip, like somebody says, follow me. Hey, we're going to this place. You, you trust that they know how to get there right? You, you, may, you, you may doubt, you may have questions, but you've put all of your faith in them and said, okay, I'm going to follow you. Because listen to me, when we talk about surrender, we'll never surrender to someone we don't trust. We'll never trust somebody that we can't see, but we'll never, ever, ever surrender to somebody we don't trust. Matthew trusted Jesus. Now, now again, think about this. this. This isn't the first time. This is crazy to me. This isn't the first time that Matthew had seen Jesus or heard Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, this is the story of Matthew following Jesus, getting called out. Matthew chapter 9, the gospel that Matthew himself wrote, Matthew chapter 9, is the parallel to this story. And so think about this. Matthew had heard Jesus teach. He had heard him teach the Sermon on the Mount. He, he actually wrote it down in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And here in Matthew chapter 9, he's talking about himself. Matthew was aware of who Jesus was. But all of a sudden, Jesus walks up to him in the middle of his mess, meets him right where he is, and says, Matthew, I want you to come and follow me. No questions, no reservations. He just stands up. He follows Jesus. He entered into a life of surrender. Jesus, I, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're going to do, but yes. The answer is yes. Isn't that insane? When we see him, we'll surrender. It blows my mind as I imagine this. Think about this. Matthew is a, a sinning tax collector. And again, right where he is, right in the middle of sinning, right where he's at, Je Jesus meets him. Jesus doesn't tell him, Here, here's all the things you need to stop doing. He just says, follow me. Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus loved Matthew the tax collector as much as he loved Matthew 
the disciple. He met him right where he was, right in the middle of his mess. Doesn't say get cleaned up. He just calls him into a relationship. So Matthew, when Jesus said, follow me, I think he was just seized by the power of Jesus and thought, if this guy's calling out to me, in the middle of what I'm doing, if this guy can love me for who I am right now, just as I am, then yeah, I'll follow him. And he surrendered. See, here's the reason people don't surrender to Jesus. It goes back to that really complex remote control. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to push these buttons. I got to stop this. I got to start this. I got to do this. No, 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 no. Listen to me. Jesus simply said to every single one of us, follow me. Just follow me. Now look at this. Notice the first thing that happens when Matthew starts following Jesus. I love this. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. Great banquet is another word for a great big party. All right. Back then, even today, Jewish people, they, they know how to celebrate. There's an incredible party going on. Look at this. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Don't miss this. This is so huge. In, in America, if I have a meal with you, don't get offended by this, um, but, but if I have a meal with you, it probably doesn't really mean anything, all right? It, it probably mean, means that we ran into each other, we went to a restaurant, we talked a little bit, we ate real quick, we probably had some chit-chat afterwards, we probably had that awkward moment of who was going to pay the bill, right? And we got up and we left. In Jewish culture, meals take between two and seven hours. And so when you have, when you have a meal with someone, don't, this, this, this is it. When you have a meal with somebody, you're saying, I'm doing life with you. And so Matthew, don't, don't miss this, so good. Matthew said, follow me. And the first thing Matthew did was step into a place of joy. When we follow Jesus, he's always leading us. When he calls us out, he's leading us towards joy. It's a party. It's not a Bible study or a theology class, nothing wrong with those things. But, but it's a party. I think, li listen, let me, let me say this. I think Christians should show the world how to celebrate. I think the church should show the world how to party. Not sporting events. Like, like think about this. Last week, last Sunday night, everybody in Kansas City was going crazy because the Chiefs beat the 49ers. Big freaking deal. Sorry, Chiefs fans. <laughs> it was a good game. But in 20 years, it won't matter. It will not matter but we'll let football teams out celebrate us i think that's a shame i think it's central we should be throwing some parties anybody with me all right anyway let me get off that soapbox <laughs> the bible says he threw a large party and tax collectors were eating with him verse 30 you guys always show up mess up everything but the pharisees these are the guys with the universal remotes got everything figured out in their own minds dot all the i's cross all the t's that's how you follow god the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Let, let me stop real, real, real quick and say this. When you're following Jesus, don't ever expect that you'll be understood or approved of. Don't ever expect you'll be understood or approved of. If you're the type of person that needs everybody to understand and approve of you, it's highly possible you'll never step into what Jesus is calling you into. Matthew. It's following Jesus, and the Pharisees show up and tell, tell him that he's doing it wrong. L listen, hmm. when you tell Jesus he's doing it wrong, that's a problem, yes or no? Yes, every time. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, which is kind of slapping their face, because they know the Old Testament. 
Right, they had memorized the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it says there is none righteous, not even one. And so Jesus is looking at them and saying, hey, fellas, you're actually not as good as you think you are. Then he says this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's the thing I know. If Jesus is calling you out, it's ultimately to a place of joy. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. I'm not saying that it, you're not going to have struggles. But I am saying that Jesus ultimately is after our joy, not our resentful submission. Number three, real quick, oh man. If you're really going to follow Jesus, you've got to surround yourself with other people who are following Jesus. You've got to surround yourself with other people who are following Jesus. Jesus didn't call Matthew, didn't call Peter to follow him, and, and it was just going to be the two of them to hang out for the rest of their lives. He called Matthew into a community. Called Matthew into a community. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, others were there. And, and this was the group of people that together changed the world. You know why I need other people in my life? It's because there are days that I'm too weak to follow Jesus by myself. That's the truth. And I'm sure if you were honest today, you'd admit that there are days like that for you too, where you're too weak to follow Jesus by yourself. That, that's, that's why the church should be a place where we spur each other along. A place where if somebody falls, we, 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 we help pick them up and we say, hey, you know what? You know what we're going to do? We're going to walk together. We're going to walk through this thing together. L listen, honestly, when somebody screws up, they know they screwed up. They don't need somebody to tell them. They don't need a list of 28 things that they did wrong. They need somebody to come alongside of them and put their arm around them and say, you know what? We're going to do this thing together. We're going to walk together. We're going we're to help you get this thing right. That's what the church should be. And we should surround ourselves with people like that. L let me wrap this thing up like this. Jesus said, once again, G everything Jesus did was, was, was simple. The call in our lives to follow Jesus is simple. In John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. And when he said that, everybody probably rolled their eyes. Oh, my gosh. Where are you going? 613 over here, 3,000 over here. Now you're going to give us another one. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Take all that, put it out of the side. This is what I'm going to tell you to do. A new command I give you. Love one another. All right, Jesus, how, how, how am I supposed to, how are we supposed to love one another? I'm glad you asked. He says, love one another as I have loved you. That's pretty much unconditional. Jesus loves us unconditionally. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now watch this. He says, he says this next. He says, by this. By what? By what I just told you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Not by the theology you know. Not by the, the, the Bible verses that you have memorized. Not by the hours you spend in prayer. No, 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 no. Jesus says the mark of someone who actually follows him is that we actually love other people. Jesus said, as I have loved you. See, the people that Jesus loved were nothing like him. That means we must love people even though they're nothing like us. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so today, the question I'm ending with is, we've been in this series called Called Out. What is Jesus calling you into? What is your next step in your walk with Jesus? What's that one thing that when Jesus says, follow me, what's your personal next step? I'm not going to list things out because, because l listen, every time I do that, it might be this, it might be this. Somebody says, oh, yeah, that's it for me. No, 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 no. I, I want you, when we close, Pastor Gary's coming up here right now. He's going to close you out in prayer. We're going to close in prayer quickly. <laughs> but I want you to ask Jesus, if you have the courage, to legitimately ask him, what is my next step? 
And, and then don't miss this. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Just surrender. Just surrender. Jesus, what is my next step? I've, I've never met anyone who has said, the worst decision I ever made in my life was to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is never a bad decision. But at the end of the day, what is your next step in your relationship with Jesus? Because we all got one. And as we step into it, we're stepping into joy. We're, selling in the, we're stepping into celebration. We're stepping into immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's stand and pray.